Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our epistle reading this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, the sixth chapter, verses one through five. Listen once again to the word of God. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you are yourselves not tempted bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. When I was in the ninth grade in PE, my favorite class, we came to the section in which we focused on gymnastics. Tumbling, climbing a rope, and vaulting over a horse. That might have been the most simple thing we did was vault over a horse. And you know how this works. You run, you jump up into the air, you land down on the springing mechanism, and then you vault over elegantly. It was my time. Run, jump up in the air, landing on the springing mechanism, and then my arms and legs kind of went flying all over the place, and I sort of... um, with, with not much elegance at all, crashed on the other side. And I, I've been thinking about that this week because that's sort of my experience in reading our scripture passages for today. We begin this morning thinking about Galatians and the kind of community that Paul is nurturing in these congregations. And then somehow we jump up in the air, we land on the springboard of Galatians, and then he propels us almost out of control to the cross. How does that happen? This, as you know, is a wonderful day of celebration in the life of our congregation. We are receiving new members. And whenever our church receives new members, that is a cause for singing and rejoicing, and that is particularly true today. For more than two years, we have Zoomed here and Zoomed there. We have endured waves of Delta and Omicron. We have discussed and debated vaccine protocols. We have decided, uh, should we wear a mask, should we not wear a mask, and we've tightened up regulations, and we relax those regulations, and then the the next wave comes on. No, no, we have to keep wearing our mask. Uh, Like most congregations, here at Madison Avenue, our 
worship attendance has not gone back to pre-COVID levels. No one's doing that yet. And our opportunities for getting together in person for fellowship and nurture, worship and service have been far and few between. And yet, today, we are receiving new members into the life of our church. How? Why? After what we've been through over the past two years, people want to come and join our congregation. When I have shared with some of my colleagues in other parts of the country that we had new members join in the fall and we have new members join today, they are incredulous. They are speechless. Really? How? Why? Well, I encourage you and hope that you'll spend some time with these new disciples. You'll have the opportunity after the worship service and during the brunch up on the roof garden. And as you listen to them and get to know them, here are some of the things you might hear from them. You, you, this is what I have heard. You, you might hear about the beauty of our music ministry. You might hear about the diligence and commitment we have to outreach ministries such as the Open Table and the Samaritan's Closet. You might hear that we are a congregation that is committed to intellectually grappling with our faith. And I think you will also hear a thing that I have heard in more than 35 years of ministry, the importance of a welcoming and caring congregation. A wise, retired minister once taught me, Patrick, he said, shepherds do not beget sheep. Sheep beget sheep. And he's right. We have a new director of administration and finance here at Madison Avenue, John Clemmer. And in our staff meeting on Tuesday, he shared with us that incognito, he visited our congregation a couple of times over the past few months. And he wanted us to know as the staff of the church that he was received by you with incredible warmth and hospitality and embrace he felt accepted. Now, a sense of community and the importance of relationships and belonging might not be the only reason someone chooses to join a church, but in my experience, it has often be, been by far the most significant factor. People tend to want to go to congregations in which they celebrate a sense of hospitality and welcome. Come join us. We're glad you're here. What's your name? Yes, let me try to remember your name for next time. And we are nurturing here the kind of community that Paul was nurturing in the churches in Galatia. This is the sixth Sunday that we have gone through the book of Galatians. And today we encounter that interesting verse. Paul says to us, bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love, one word, exactly, thank you. Love. 
love of God and love of neighbor. As we have seen, Paul is angry in this letter. I love the way he begins chapter 3. Oh, you, you foolish Galatians! And he is angry because outside agitators have come, to, come into these congregations and stirred dissension and discord, leading some to believe that they are not really, truly sincere Christians unless they're Jewish first. And this is such a perversion of the gospel of Christ and such a distortion of Christian community that Paul, Paul is outraged. And so he points the Galatians and he points us beyond an ethnic identity as children of Abraham and proclaims for all to hear that in Jesus Christ, we are all children of God. And because we're all children of God in our baptisms, we here are brothers and sisters. And so when we gather on Sunday mornings, we do so as brothers and sisters, and we greet one another, and we talk. And I, I love uh, the way the passing of the peace goes here at Madison Avenue. We, we don't rush through it as some congregations do. Peace be with you, peace be with you. Don't really care about you anyway. Just sit down, shut up, leave me alone. No, uh, uh, we, we don't do that. But we get out and mingle and mix and talk, and how are you? And haven't seen you since such and such. And oh, uh, how did your week go? because we here at Madison Avenue are trying to nurture the kind of community that Paul cultivated in those churches in Galatia. In chapter 6, we see how Paul skillfully weaves together a beautiful tapestry of individuality and community. Each strand needs the other. Bear one another's burdens, he tells us. You are a community. And remember what we, remember what we discovered last week? Paul says that in Christ, we are free to be slaves of one another. What an interesting and strange twist. We are free to be slaves? Yes. We are free to be slaves to one another in this community we call church. And yet, even as we are a community, we are still each responsible for our own lives and so in chapter 6, Paul also says each is responsible for carrying their own load. There is in Paul's thought a sense that Christian community is growing, evolving, ever-changing. It's a rich symmetry of the one and the many, the person and the collective, the individual and the communal. Reciprocity, mutuality, Interdependence, that's the character of a Christian church. Echoing some of the language of Paul in Galatians, Jesus gathers around himself a community of Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, insider and outsider, richer and poor, younger and older. The community that is the Church of Jesus Christ is a community unlike the world has ever seen. It's the kind of community that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. It's the kind of community that sent so many people scratching their heads, going, what is this? And my friends, 
is the kind of community that nailed Jesus to the cross. For make no mistake about it, the community that we seek to nurture here, the community that Jesus gathered around himself, the, the community that Paul is cultivating in Galatia is seen as a threat to the world. Because here we say it matters not who you are or where you're from. Here we say that in the name of Jesus Christ, all are welcome. This kind of mutuality and reciprocity that we celebrate, that we nurture, that we strive for, in no small measure is what led Jesus to be crucified. What, Jesus, wait a minute, you, you, you stand for a movement in which people are free to be slaves to one another, really? Jesus, you stand for a people in which you bear one another's burdens? What, what, what kind of world, what kind of community are you talking about? If you remember nothing else from today's sermon, I hope you remember that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he defiantly and deliberately mimicked and mocked the power of Rome. It, it, it can be difficult to see in the text because we've read it so often and it has become so familiar. But as we get into this text, we will see that Jesus, when he went into Jerusalem on that donkey, was sending a clear message to Rome, your days are numbered. Uh, please remember that the Roman Empire was brutal and barbaric. It crucified tens of thousands of men. Crucifixion was a particularly cruel form of punishment and execution that was reserved for those who had committed sedition. You remember the thieves that were crucified with Jesus on the cross? <sighs> Thief is a horrible translation. Uh, Christopher Warren, the New Testament scholar, tells us that a much better translation would be domestic terrorist or insurrectionist. These were not pickpockets who were crucified with Jesus. These were people who were violently trying to cast off the yoke of Rome. When, well, when those guilty of sedition were crucified, they were stripped of all their clothing and hung on a cross on busy highways and intersections to serve as an example, a warning to any other who might want to defy Rome. Jesus was crucified as thousands of others because he represented a threat to the Roman Empire. For example, by riding on a donkey into Jerusalem that day, he evoked the expectation of the prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah celebrates God's ultimate victory over all the empires and nations of the world. It is a radical text. And yet, here in Zechariah 9, we read, Lo, 
Your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. What? Your king comes to you? What happened to people in the Roman Empire who would ever begin to imagine that they were king? What, what happened to them? They were crucified. By acting out the words of Zechariah, as Jesus enters the city on a donkey, he is sending a message, I am here to challenge the authority and legitimacy of Rome. As Jesus rides into the city, people are laying down their garments on the road, and the Gospel of John tells us that some picked up palm branches and began to wave them around. Uh, are you familiar with the significance and meaning of palm branches in the first century in the Mediterranean world? They were symbols of uh, victory, political victory, military victory, victory in a courtroom, victory in sports. So the people waving these branches as Jesus comes in on this donkey is a celebration of the defeat of the Roman Empire. Oh, Rome was brutal. Uh, I neglected to mention that Rome levied such a heavy tax on occupied territories that most of the population teetered on the brink of starvation every day. That's why it's so important that Jesus feeds the hungry. These were people who were deeply and desperately hungry. Uh, where does Jesus get that donkey, by the way? He sends two of his disciples ahead of him, go to the village and get a donkey. Really? When Roman political and military leaders traveled from city to city or from province to province, they practiced a ritual called Angorea. And Angorea was the practice of requisitioning from the subjugated populace anything that these Roman leaders needed. Beds, uh, food, wagons, uh, a mule, from people already oppressed and very, very poor, these Roman leaders could go in and take whatever they wanted to. Where did Jesus get that donkey? Uh, go into the village ahead of you and get it, bring it back. Jesus is enacting and mocking the way that the Roman soldiers and political leaders would take advantage of his Jewish brothers and sisters. Ah, you, you see what they did, you know. You know how they've abused us. Watch this. Bring me the donkey. And he enters the city on a donkey. When Roman military leaders and political leaders entered a city, there was a huge celebration, a great party to welcome the dignitary and the local elites would stand up and give speeches of thanksgiving and praise. And indeed, if you're speech was not filled with enough thanksgiving and praise, uh, the soldiers would go back in and begin killing people. That actually happened when one Roman leader felt slighted by a community and he sent the legion into the city to destroy them. Roman leaders go into the city and great crowds of people would gather around and celebrate and cheer. Yes, the Roman leader's here, the dignitary's here, yes. Speeches would be given, 
And then, do you know what they would do? They would go into the temples to enjoy a feast. Where does Jesus go when he enters Jerusalem? There is no feast. No one gives a speech on his behalf. But where do they go? Do you remember? Jesus goes to the temple. Hidden in this passage are many ways in which Jesus is defying the Roman Empire. And he is drawing a line in the sand between the empire's way of being human and having community and God's way of being human and having community. And the difference is stark. When Roman leaders like Pilate, for example, would enter a city, they would ride in on a chariot or stallion, signs of Roman power and tyranny. Jesus rides in on a humble donkey a symbol of peace. Pilate arrived with legions of soldiers who conquer through violence. Jesus arrives with crowds of peasants who are singing Hosanna. They serve through love. Pilate represents a kingdom with strict delineation between insider and outsider, slave and rich, rich and poor, Jesus represents a kingdom where everyone and anyone is welcome, where all belong as brothers and sisters. Does this help you understand a little bit more as we go into Holy Week what led Jesus to be crucified? He led a movement of bringing people together from all walks of life, all nationalities, all ethnicities. And he said, let's live together like this. We're brothers and sisters. We're slaves to one another. Let's take care of one another and keep our arms open to welcome more and more people. My friends, today, we at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church have welcomed new members. And Jesus has welcomed us anew to this surprising, puzzling, subversive community we call church. Amen.